we take a look at your word, Lord, we have already sung songs to express our hearts to you of worship, of praise, of trust, of confidence, of faith. I pray this morning as we take a look at your word that you might, through the Holy Spirit, speak to each one of us this morning that you would have a word, a personal message to every one of us and that you would speak through my voice as we look at your word together. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Well, last week, if you weren't able to be here, Pastor Tom shared a message out of Acts 18. Our uh, summer message series this summer was to go through the book of Acts, actually a portion, about a third of the book of Acts, chapter by chapter, not verse by verse. I won't get verse by verse this morning. Um, I'm going to cover, actually, about the first half of my uh, chapter, and then I'm going to give you the assignment or the opportunity to cover the second half, although I'll touch on what it covers, but we're looking at what are some lessons, what are some observations, what can we learn from the book of Acts which records how the church, after Jesus left the planet, after he died, rose again, appeared to his disciples and said, here's what you're supposed to do, guys and gals, and then ascended into heaven, what happened? And Acts records the next several years of what happened, and there are lots of lessons for us to learn as a church. Last week, uh, what we learned, I believe, what I learned, my, my personal message from God last week is that God's word can flourish anywhere. <clears throat> the message series was, um, I can't remember the name of the title, but it was like a church in Sin City. Was that right? Okay, so a church in Sin City, was, it was the focus of chapter 18 was on the city of Corinth, which really was, uh, Sin City is a great nickname for it. It's pretty much known that way in the ancient world. And that even in one of the most hedonistic, pagan cities in the world, God's word can flourish. And I love the example that Tom gave, a modern-day example about <clears throat> a modern-day prison in Argentina, which is one of the most wicked, vile places on the planet, and how God's word flourished, a revival started, in the midst of a prison is pretty awesome. This is me bringing our summer series to a close, actually to a pause. We'll return to it in the future. Next week, we'll start a short mini-series, two messages, called Back in the Groove. This is the time of year. Now, the worship team was mostly in denial that it's a changing of the seasons, which is fine. That's their prerogative. If you're in denial as well, that's fine. It's your prerogative. All I know is that I've had to wear sweatshirts multiple times in the morning, and I've already turned the heater on in my truck more than once on the drive into town. Something's different than the last few weeks. I don't know. But this time of year is when we, oftentimes, it's a, it's a time, well, it's definitely a time if you're a kid, you get back to school a couple of weeks, right, or less, depending on where you are, which side, actually, I have friends that have been back to school for a couple of weeks, if you can believe it already, different school districts and part of the country start and end different times. But we'll be starting here locally in a couple of weeks. Oftentimes that also signals a return back to routines, to rhythms, to activities that either we intentionally took a break from, sometimes it's because things just slipped away from us. Whatever the case, I find this time of year to be a great time of year to pause reflect and see what do I need to get back into the rhythm of, get back on my schedule, get back 
in the groove. So that's what we'll cover the next couple of weeks, and I hope you return for that. This morning, my message is Acts 19, and my title is When God Goes Off Script. Now, for those of you who studied the Bible um, in particular, uh, you probably might take issue with the title. It is supposed to be sort of sarcastic and a little ironic because God is writing the script of history and has written it. He knows the beginning from the end. So when it seems like to us that life or God goes off script, it's really just our perception. God is not ever surprised. He's never been surprised. However, to us at times in our lives, it feels like, God, this wasn't in the script that I got, and he's kind of ad-libbing. So that's what uh, that's where we're headed, and what I'm gonna, we're going to see in Acts chapter 19 is I believe we can observe at least three reactions that it would actually be helpful for us to learn from when we also experience moments in life when we feel like, or it seems like, God is going off script, and we can learn from them. I want to start with a story. In high school, um, one of the activities that I got involved with, I was involved in music, so I sang in the choir, a couple different choirs. I also was involved in theater, and my, probably my favorite part of being involved in theater or drama was the spring musical. My senior year, we did a show called Pippin, which we were all excited about at the time, so this was 20 years ago, because it was only about a 20-ish year old musical, and usually we were doing like 50-year-old musicals. So the fact that there was some updated, so to speak, music, we were pretty excited about. And to be honest, it's a little bit of an edgy musical for a high school to do, um, based on what you might see on Broadway. And so we were excited, probably not for great reasons, because we got to do something a little edgy. Well, I didn't get the role I was hoping for. There was a role, uh, King Charlemagne, it's set in the Middle Ages, and I didn't get that role. That's what I wanted. He's called King Charles. I don't have a ton of real specific memories other than I remember it was a lot of fun. I can't remember any of the, the, the songs or anything. If, if, it, if like you played the Pippin soundtrack, I'd probably be like, oh, that sounds familiar, but I couldn't remember any of those. But there's Two or three remembrances that I have, and I want to tell you about one of them. One of them was during a rehearsal. It was a dress rehearsal, and it involved the student who was playing King Charles, who actually turned out to be a really, really, really talented actor and singer um, and did some things after high school and college and beyond. And uh, the, the director was having him, I think it was a dress rehearsal. I mean, it must not have been a dress rehearsal because we paused. But it was close to the end of getting close to dress rehearsal. And he was working in one scene. And it's having him to do the same scene about three or four times in a row. Because he wasn't quite getting, the director wasn't quite getting what he wanted from the student out of the performance. Kind of the expression or the body language or the movements. Well, the student playing King Charles at one, I think the line was something like, what do you think you're doing that he wasn't quite getting right? So something like, what do you, he was saying that to someone else. And anyways, the next time, the student went off script. And he said, what the bleep are you thinking? <clears throat> we lost it. In the, uh, in the students, we thought it was hilarious, um, as most students would when some other student is sort of cutting up and making a joke and doing something not quite appropriate. The director also lost it in a different way. 
I can remember how red his face was and this vein just bulging in his eyes. I was glad he wasn't looking at me because I might have actually felt heat from them. I have to admit that there is a little bit of, well, there's maybe more than a little bit of a rebellious side of me that has relished and enjoyed when people go off script. Like in a TV interview or during a sports game when the broadcasters start talking about, like, I'm sure this wasn't a part of a play call. Um, Somebody's improvising or doing things on their own. I think it takes, uh, I've always seemed to appreciate that it takes a little bit of courage independence, confidence, sometimes stupidity. And I'm not saying it's right, but I kind of like that a little bit. There's a part of me that kind of likes it. So I want to ask you for a minute. Do you have any memories, maybe it's a humorous one, where something, somebody did something completely outside of what you were expecting? Do you have any other memories? Maybe it was a really challenging time where you had something happen to you that was not what you expected, it wasn't what you were planning for, whether it was humorous or frightening, of when life or God seemed to go off script. Something unexpected, unplanned, maybe even unwanted happened to you. When that happens to me, I love to look back on what happened when God does something unexpected. I love later after kind of the dust settles, and I can see how God was working, even though I didn't think that was the right thing to happen or that situation should have gone differently. For me, when I'm in the middle of that, part of me, I actually do like change, and so part of me sort of does lean into a little bit of the adrenaline when something is requiring my attention. But there's another part of me that I'm hoping doesn't come out that is sort of a kind of like a uh, trying to keep the panic attack from coming to the surface. Um, I don't know if those two go, can go together, but they do for me. In Acts 19, a lot of that happens. A lot of God going off script happens in this chapter. I guess you could argue that often what we have recorded in the book of Acts is probably a lot of God doing the unexpected. In Acts 19, I'm going to make three observations, different reactions that I think could help us know how to react when we encounter those situations. I'm going to read Acts 19, 1 through 4. If you have a Bible, a paper one, you can sure open up to Acts and follow along. It'll be on the screen behind you. If you want to open a Bible on your screen, you can sure do that as well. I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible if you want to match it up on an app or something like that. Here's what Acts 19, 1 through 4 says. While Apollos was in Corinth, so that was last week, we were in Corinth, Paul met Apollos in Corinth, and Apollos was still in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they said, they told him, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So right now, if you are Uh, If you read your Bible, you're wondering, how are they disciples if they don't have the Holy Spirit and haven't even heard of the Holy Spirit? It's a little bit off script already, so let's let's read on. Into what were you baptized, he asked them. This is Paul speaking now. And then they replied, into John's baptism. Paul said, 
John baptized with a baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. So here's my first observation. What Paul does next, or what Paul just did there, is he shared the full gospel with them. Now, here's the, here's the, here's the reaction that we can have when something happens off spread. What happened for Paul is he ran into people who were calling them disciples. We're left to assume that they're disciples of Jesus because it's not defined otherwise. It would probably be defined otherwise. Now, it's been debated whether these men actually were in Christ or not. And people who do that for a living, like study the Bible for a living, there's actually people who think one or the other. There's kind of confusion. I actually would contend I don't know that it matters exactly because what Paul did is a great, great uh, observation for us and what he did is the first reaction we can have is just do the next right thing. If God goes off script in your life or if you're confused or it seems like things don't really connect or you're not really sure what's going on, I can tell you one really good reaction, and this is Paul's reaction, is to do the next right thing. What Paul does is whether or not they were actually in Christ or not, he just shares how they could be for sure, how they can know for sure that when John, that was John the Baptist, was preaching, John was really pointing to Jesus, who is the real fulfillment of their faith. Now, the reaction of these guys is that they recognized something was missing in their lives because they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, it says in the next verse. And then Paul lays hands on them, prays for them, and then they receive the Holy Spirit, which they hadn't heard of before, and they have him now. Now, I'm not going to get into what actually happened there. Were they saved before without the Holy Spirit? Did they get the Holy Spirit afterwards? I'm not going to tackle that because I think the main observation is the right thing to do, whatever the case is here, is share the truth about who Jesus really is for Paul. That was his next right thing to do. It doesn't really matter whether they are or not, but what will be helpful, either confirm them or welcome them into the family of God, is share the truth about Jesus. If you're in doubt, doing the next right thing, you're not sure what to do, usually, if you're in a confusing situation, if you were to pause and say, what would be a right next step for me to take, my guess is you could probably identify it, even if it isn't the full answer or solution to the problem that you're facing. And that's what Paul does, and it's a great example for us. We're going to skip down to, chap- to verse 8 now in Acts 19. Paul does what he had often do- did when he went to a city. Um, he'd been to Ephesus before. He's coming back through again now. Paul goes to the synagogue, it says, in verse 8. You can follow along. I'll read these next three verses. Paul entered the synagogue and spoke boldly over a period of three months, arguing and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some became hardened and would not believe, slandering the way, now the way is what Christians, it was the way of Jesus, not the Mandalorian, not the way as in the Star Wars series. This is where, the, where they got that idea from, is from the Bible. The way is what Jesus' followers were called, just like we sang this morning. Jesus is the way. They were slandering the way in front of the crowd. He withdrew from them, taking the disciples, and conducted discussions every day in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years, so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Now, we're going to back up and have to slow down in a minute, but let's make the observation. Here's what Paul did. He did what he normally did, 
He had a strategy, go to the synagogues, share the word, but he had to make adjustments. And that's the second reaction we can make when things seem to go off script, is make adjustments and follow the Holy Spirit's lead. Paul was planning to continue teaching in the synagogues as a primary ministry strategy, but that wasn't working. He was actually getting opposed there, and it was making that difficult. So what he did, by the way, I think this is the first recording of a church plant meeting in a rental facility, which is often how church plants have to start even today. They were made an arrangement with a guy named Tyrannus in a lecture hall that he owned. Now, Tyrannus means what you probably think it means. It's Tyrant's Lecture Hall. He may have been charging higher rent than he should have, or he may just have a bad reputation, but they were able to arrange a lease agreement of some kind, and they met there for two years. <clears throat> he was, Paul was in Ephesus for two years. Actually, that was longer than he was even in Corinth. I think he was in Corinth, Tom shared with us, about a year and a half. And he wrote, likely people believe he wrote the first letter back to Corinth while he was in Ephesus during these two years. That first, that's, we know that as 1 Corinthians in the Bible. What was the result of Paul making an adjustment to his strategy? Now, guys, I'm not the best planner. I'm sort of like, I'm really good at coming up with a plan, but usually I need help to follow through to the end. That's just kind of my lead. So if you're ever frustrated with a plan in the church that kind of isn't quite going the right way, I, you could just volunteer and ask, could I help out with that? And I'd probably say yes, because usually I'm not able to as consistent as I'd like to have plans go to the end. Paul had a plan. His plan was to go to the synagogue and share like he normally did. That didn't work, so he adjusted, found a rental facility, brought those who were interested there and began preaching. Did you hear what the result of that was as he followed the lead of the Spirit? It's one of the more astounding books in the... I'm sorry, it's one of the more astounding verses in the entire book of Acts. Could, you just, could we slow down and read verse 10 if you didn't catch it the first time? This went on for two years. Okay, that's not so astounding. The next part is. So that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. All the residents of Asia. It's probably speaking about Asia Minor. But that's, a, that's like all of Turkey, or a part of it that was referred to as Asia. All of them heard about the word of God. That's crazy. I don't think Paul was planning that. My guess was probably he wasn't planning that, um, that that was necessarily his goal. Sometimes when God goes off script, the results are way, way, way better than whatever strategy or plan that we had that we thought would be really successful. This is one of those instances, I think. Paul wrote back to this church where this happened, where all of Asia heard about the word of the Lord. Later on, he wrote a letter back to Ephesus, and it's called Ephesians in the book. It's in their Bibles here. And in Ephesians is a verse that I wonder if Paul wasn't thinking about this experience in Ephesus that he had, where he had to shift gears, do something different than he expected or imagined to, and the result was far, far beyond what he could have expected. He wrote this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. This is a well-known verse. Back to this church, sometime later he said this, 
Now to him, Jesus, who is able to do above and beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I tend to think it may have been his experience in Ephesus that was at least part of the inspiration the Holy Spirit used for him to write those words down. Because that was, I would guess, far beyond what he was asking or imagining might happen in his visit there. And he can do that. God can do that today in our lives. He proceeds to do quite a bit more in the rest of this chapter that we'll look at. After this experience, things only get wilder, way more outside of the box, and crazier than you or I would expect or imagine in this city. It, it's, it's actually a little disturbing, to be quite honest. I would say it doesn't fit into most of your or I's theological perspectives about how God does stuff. We're going to cover it in a minute. But before we get there, i got to ask a question. Did anybody go on a roller coaster this summer? That's here. Anybody? A couple people went on a roller coaster. I usually get to go on at least one roller coaster in the summer. I didn't this year. I actually talked to some folks that got to go on roller coasters this summer. And I can remember the first time I tried to encourage all of my kids who were tall enough to qualify, because there's this height, height, right? You have to be like 48 inches or 52 inches or 46 inches to go on different roller coasters because of the way they hold you in. I remember encouraging some of our kids the first time to try to go on a roller coaster, and they were hesitant, to say the least, at first. And you just kind of, I didn't want to like push them to do it, but kind of encourage them, sort of nudge them in a gentle way. I think they're probably going to like it if they just get over the hump and try it. And I have had this experience multiple times now, not with my kids, but going with other people. Almost every time I've gone with a group of people to a theme park, and we try to roller coaster. There's somebody in the group that's either very hesitant or just actually says at the beginning, I'm not going on those. And that's fine. Again, I'm not here to say whether you are right or wrong or of weak or of great faith to go on a roller coaster or not. I don't really care. God doesn't really care. However, I think there's a something happens, and this happened to my kids, and I've seen it happen with others. A lot of hesitation, but finally, through positive peer pressure, usually. People get on the roller coaster who were not planning to do it or said they weren't going to do it, and they get on. Click, 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 click. Of course, right, this clicking sound, if you don't like roller coasters, your anxiety level might be going up right now. Click, 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 click. And then you get over the hump and you go down, right? And that's usually where your anxiety gets really high if you don't like them. I sort of feel that a little bit, and so I... Um, I don't have any pride on roller coasters, so I just scream really loud like my kids are embarrassed. That's kind of how I deal with the internal pressure of that. And I also feel like it's administered to other people who want to scream but may not feel like they can scream because they don't want to look chicken. At least that's how I tell to myself. I'm not sure exactly what's the truth here. What's happened more than once with um, people that I've watched do this and you could probably watch it happen if you were just waiting in line, if you're observant and just want to watch people, because this kind of replays itself probably like many times a day at these parks. 
after they go on it, some people, not all, some people are like, okay, that's enough. I've done my coaster. I'm done. Been there, done that. Never need to go again. Many times I've observed it happen. The response is after all that anxiety and fear and screaming, at the end of it, you know what the response is, right? Let's do it again. It happens very frequently. Let's do it again. After all that fear, after all that anxiety, after all that I'm not sure I know what's going to happen or I'm a little afraid or a lot afraid, let's do it again. What happens in the rest of Acts 19 gets crazier and crazier, guys. Let's read about this. Let me, tell you, let me ask you how this fits into your spiritual or theological paradigm. This is what happens next. It's recorded in Acts um, 19.11 and 12. God was performing extraordinary miracles by Paul's hands. So Paul was doing miracles, laying hands on people. But then it gets a little off script, okay? This is a little weird. Like, actually, it's a lot weird. So that even face cloths or aprons, hankies or hand towels, that touched Paul's skin were brought to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits came out of them. Now, I'm just here to say that we are not going to start a magical hanky ministry at Cottonwood. Um, I don't believe that this is, a, uh, this is a command about this is how a church is supposed to do ministry, but I do believe this is a, uh, an example where what you and I might expect God might do, this is so far outside the box, I couldn't think that God might do this. Now, I can look at it now and see why he might have done that. Ephesus was a city that was very committed to occultic, magical activity. And I believe why maybe God decided to do miracles this way is to prove and draw some people to the one who really has all the power. And that's the name of Jesus. Now, I can do that afterwards. In the moment, I mean, to be honest, even reading it now, I'm like, this I'll just say it real honestly, I, I sort of would be more comfortable if this were not in the Bible. This is just really weird. It doesn't sound, it's just way outside of the box. It's out, way outside of my comfort zone. But God chose to do it, and so here's our third response, I think, when things happen that we don't expect is really, it's kind of like a roller coaster, just buckle up and enjoy the ride. God gets to do what he wants to do, how he wants to do it, when he wants to do it, well, you can either fight where the roller coaster is going, or you can buckle up and enjoy the ride God has you on. That's what happens in the church here. It's pretty quite crazy. So in the, the next passage that I won't read, what happens is some non-believing, non-Christian exorcists. So what these guys did is they sort of would go out and offer to try to cast demons out of people. Now, Wherever occultic activity is happening, you can get that, that there will be demonic activity happening. So it's not a surprise that this happens in Ephesus. I'm sure the demons were having a heyday with people there. They decide, wow, Jesus' name is pretty powerful. Let's try his name out on our next exorcism. Not, these aren't believers. Um, and what happens is kind of a crazy story the person who they're trying to throw the demon out of says, I know Paul, and I know Jesus, but I don't know you. And then he beats the living tar out of them, and they run away scared. And that is a crazy story as well. I believe part of what God is showing us in that story is that Jesus' name is powerful, but it is not, Jesus' name is not 
a magical word that anybody can use to do whatever they want with. It actually is a name that is meant to be honored and healthily feared in a way that brings glory to God. So that got a little crazy in Acts 19. It continues, but I love what verse 20 says. Actually, let's read 18 through 20. And many who had become believers came confessing and disclosing their practices. Now, I can just tell you what they were confessing and what they're disclosing would probably be content in rated R movies, maybe above that. They were turning away from a very vile way of living, very evil. And while many of those who had practiced magic, practiced the occult, they collected their books and burned them in front of everyone. Like literally these were magic books with spells and incantations and stuff like that. And they calculated their value and found it to be 50,000 pieces of silver, which is the millions and millions of dollars in modern day money. What happens here is that some of the most committed people to living an occult lifestyle and practicing it and making their living on it, what they literally do is they say, I'm going to, just tell me if you've ever heard of this. I haven't, modern day. I'm not just going to turn away from and maybe get rid of or let someone else run my godless business. I'm going to burn it to the ground as an expression of how much Jesus means to me and how much more valuable he is than this way of living that I could make. I mean, it's stunning. It's stunning. Here's what happens in verse 20. In this way, the word of the Lord spread and prevailed. Let's reread verse 10 as well. This went on for two years so that all the residents of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. Everyone in Turkey, or Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey, or portion of it, heard God's word. The word of the Lord spread and prevailed. You would have liked, we, I would have liked that all the response would be positive, but it wasn't. As we already heard, some people attacked the way. They slandered Christians. And what we see in the rest of the chapter, which I won't dive too deeply into, is basically a riot is raised. Now, it's raised by people who, one, were misunderstanding. Some of, there's a lot of confusion going on. Two, there was greed happening. People were loosening business. Those who were committed to making their living by different temples and making offerings and having idols that people prayed to. And there was a power play happening. Now, this was like probably thousands of people. Like, it was chaotic. All of a sudden, people start rushing. And, and like any riot... Not everybody who gets caught up in it knows what's happening, and that's actually what's recorded. Some people were saying one thing, other people were saying another thing. The riot gets dismissed in the end. It doesn't end in anyone dying or anyone getting thrown in jail, but it was really confusing. And what happens in the next chapter is Paul decides to move out of the area. Two years, he figured maybe I shouldn't stay keep more riots going on. And the story will continue. We'll look at Acts 20. In summary, a few months ago, I uh, ran across a phrase by another pastor as he was describing how he talks with his church leaders about doing church together and leading church together. And he uses the phrase, stumble onward. Well, let's just stumble onward. And uh, I liked the phrase. It resonated with me because I think it communicates more of the reality 
of what our efforts to try to partner with God and build the kingdom are really like. I would like to think that we're really, you know, launching onward or sprinting onward. But most of the time, I think it's more accurate that our feeble efforts to follow God, to do the next right thing, to make adjustments and follow the Holy Spirit, to buckle up and enjoy the ride, are a bit more like a stumble than a sprint. Sort of like a toddler learning to walk rather than Usain Bolt breaking the world record. So I wouldn't like to encourage you with that thought at the end here, is that when it seems like God goes off script, just do your best to stumble onward and do the next right thing, make adjustments and follow the Holy Spirit's lead, and buckle up and enjoy the ride that God has you on. Let's close with the word of prayer. I hope that you'll join us next week as we do Back in the Groove. We're going to sing a song together to the God we worship. Worship team, if you want to head up, if you want to stand for closing prayer, then we'll sing a song together. God, thanks for being in charge. Thanks that even though we get surprised by what seems like a change in the script or something that I couldn't even imagine that God would have written for you or I, just like Paul had things happen in Ephesus, this church had things happen to them that they would not have been able to imagine happening, you weren't surprised by it. Lord, when it seems to us like you go off script in our lives, help us to stumble onward toward you, to what the next right step is, to be willing to change and make adjustments to what it seems like you're doing to the best of our ability and to do whatever we can to enjoy, if we can, the ride you have us on, even if we wouldn't have picked it. Lord, thanks for giving us the example of what the church went through, what believers in Jesus went through from the very beginning. It helps us to know that we aren't alone, that Christians have been having to go through the unexpected, in this case, for century after century after century. Lord, give us grace so that we might stumble onward toward you. In your name we pray. Amen.